Hello, and welcome to Titletown, a Cincinnati sports podcast. I'm your host, Nick Cohen, and I invite you to join me as I dive into some of the hottest topics surrounding my favorite teams, the Cincinnati Reds and the Cincinnati Bengals. To begin, it's pretty difficult to ignore what the Reds have been doing this season. They were predicted to be a bottom feeder in the National League Central, and instead, their incredible rookies, who have all been brought up this year, have brought a lot of success to the team, and they're now sitting at nine games over 500 as July comes to a close, and are .5 games above the Brewers in the NL Central. Now, this week did not start off very well for the Reds, as they dropped two of three to the Brewers in Milwaukee. Milwaukee had a a walk-off win on Monday and a shutout win on Wednesday, but the Reds were able to scrape out a victory, which is pretty important considering the dominance that the Brewers have had over the Reds for this season and for the past three seasons. Now, throughout this week against the Brewers and this weekend series against the Dodgers, Christian Encarnacion Strand has continued to struggle for the Reds. His average is now down to about 210 or 220, and although he hit an early home run after his call-up against the Giants, he hasn't really been putting a lot of good swings on the ball and has been striking out numerous times. However, I think with a couple days off and some time to think about his swing and adjust to the major league play, I think he'll be back better than ever as the Reds start to make a huge push for the playoffs. This strategy has seemed to work for Reds rookie phenom Ellie De La Cruz, as multiple off days this season for Ellie have caused him to have huge hitting streaks after these breaks. For example, during the Reds' 12-game hit streak in late 12-game win streak, excuse me, in late June, Ellie De La Cruz had an off day against the Houston Astros. Now, sometimes off days aren't that important for players, and it's just for them to get some extra rest for sore arms or sore legs. But for De La Cruz. He surged after this off day, having plenty of multi-hit games in the series against the Nationals. Obviously, Christian Encarnacion Strand and Ellie De La Cruz are not the same player, but maybe this recipe will work for Christian Encarnacion Strand as well, and that would be a huge benefit to the Reds going forward. De La Cruz then had had an additional slump caused partially by the Milwaukee Brewers' incredible pitching. But an off day late last week has caused De La Cruz to have an incredible week this week, especially in the Reds series against the Dodgers this weekend. This was capped by De La Cruz's 4-for-5 performance on Sunday, including a 411-foot home run that was 111 miles an hour off the bat, and a, f- and a three-single day as well, which, showed, which raised his average to about 280. I expect De La Cruz to have a huge series against the Cubs this coming week and to propel the Reds to an even bigger division lead against, the, against Milwaukee. Another noteworthy player here for the Reds is Jonathan India, who was recently placed on the 10-day injured list. Now, this may seem unimportant, but due to India's involvement in many trade rumors, it is possible that this could decrease his trade value. Now, that poses the question, do the Reds really need to trade India for better pitching? In my opinion, the Reds do not need to make a trade at all. They have Hunter Green and Nick Lodolo coming off the injured list around mid to late August, and it's always nice to have an extra bat on the bench, even if India is not good enough to be an everyday infield starter for the Reds. He also makes great contributions to the locker room, 
and I think that trading him away may mess up the juju of the team just a little bit. Now, if the Reds were to get the opportunity to acquire pitchers such as Marcus Stroman or maybe Blake Snell from the Padres for Jonathan India, I would definitely be intrigued by that outcome, especially since I wouldn't have to see Luke Weaver on the mound ever again. But I just think that it's not necessary at this point for the Reds, especially since they're on the early stages of their rebuild. And they have the pieces to get to the playoffs and make noise in the playoffs, so adding at the deadline really isn't a necessity for this team. But it is nice to have a year where we're not selling away our entire team at the deadline, for sure. One final player I want to highlight for the Reds is Lucas Sims, who has just been extremely disappointing for me throughout this season and continued to disappoint me this weekend against the Dodgers. After the Reds took their 6-2 lead in the seventh inning on Friday, Sims let people on, he walked people, which is exactly what you're not supposed to do when you have that type of lead, and it's just frustrating to see David Bell keep putting him out there in those tough situations. Now, maybe the Reds can acquire a better a better setup man at the deadline, but if they don't, they may be in trouble with Sims, especially if they make it to the playoffs. Although he has a great breaking ball and it moves a lot, his high spin rate does not take away from the fact that he is he does not have very good control within the strike zone or outside of the strike zone, and that's going to cause him not only to give up walks, but to get hit and to get hit hard by better teams. Luckily, Alexis Diaz and Ian Jabot were able to save him on Friday, but the same result might not occur in higher leverage games getting into October. Despite Encarnacion Saran's struggles, India's injury, and Lucas Sims' absolute meltdown, though, the Reds were able to get two out of three from LA. So credit to them, but these are some issues that have to be fixed in the future. Moving on to the National Football League. Although the season has not started, the drama is amping up, specifically between new Denver Broncos head coach Sean Payton and former Broncos head coach Nathaniel Hackett. Hackett is most well known for his job as offensive coordinator with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay throughout the 2010s, but he did get the opportunity to coach Denver Bron- the Denver Broncos last season with their new quarterback, Russell Wilson, who had had a ton of success in Seattle before he moved to Denver. However, the Broncos were absolutely atrocious last year, winning four or five games with Russell Wilson having the worst statistical season of his entire career. In order to show his confidence in Russell Wilson, Sean Payton took to the media this week to thrash Nathaniel Hackett and the coaching job that he did with the Broncos last season. And although this move was probably unprofessional, Payton's motives seemed pretty intelligent. He knows that the blame for last season's failures probably has to fall on Wilson or Hackett, and by saying that it was all Hackett's fault, he's showing his confidence that Wilson will be able to bounce back in 2023 now that Peyton is his coach. To be frank, Peyton's accusations and criticisms of the Denver Broncos organization and of Nathaniel Hackett are correct. The Broncos failed Wilson, not the other way around. I remember before the 2022 NFL season, the Denver Broncos were getting a ton of hype and were predicted to get 12, maybe 13 wins, despite the fact that they had won about seven games the year before. Russell Wilson had obviously been a successful quarterback in Seattle, but all this hype and all of this, all these high expectations without the Broncos proving one singular thing definitely put a lot of unnecessary pressure on Wilson. Now, 
Despite Nathaniel Hackett's clear incompetence, Wilson does deserve some of the blame for the Broncos' 2022 struggles. For example, in their Week 5 game against the Indianapolis Colts, Wilson threw multiple brutal interceptions that lost his team the game, but he also was missing wide-open targets, including Tim Patrick, wide open in the end zone on the final play of the game. His, his teammates were showing clear frustration with Wilson's inability to read the field, and this, this struggle is particularly perplexing due to the fact that Wilson is a veteran quarterback. Obviously, he's going to get a little slower and his arm is going to get a little weaker as he ages, but his ability to read the field should be stagnant, if not improving, not decreasing. Therefore, I do expect Denver to experience some of the same struggles that they had in 2022 this upcoming season, although in my heart I do hope that Wilson is able to return to his form that he was in when he played for the Seattle Seahawks and Pete Carroll. Now, circling back to Sean Payton and Nathaniel Hackett, new Jets quarterback Aaron Rodgers, or as I like to call him, Aaron Rodgers, had to chime in to this situation and back up his friend Hackett, who is now his offensive coordinator for the New York Jets. Aaron Rodgers told Sean Payton in Will Smith fashion to keep his coach's name out of his mouth. But Aaron Rodgers needs to be a little worried about experiencing some of the same struggles that Wilson did in the previous year. Rodgers did not return to his 2020 and 2021 MVP form last year in the 2022 season when he struggled mightily for the Packers and they missed the playoffs for the first time in a couple years. Now, going to a new offense in the Jets, although it will be an upgrade over Zach Wilson and Mike White, Aaron Rodgers is not poised to have some of the same seasons that he had in Green Bay. Despite having a plethora of young offensive weapons, including second-year players Garrett Wilson and Brees Hall, I expect Rodgers to struggle, especially early in the season, and I do not think that the Jets will contend for the AFC East title and I believe that they will finish behind, certainly behind the Buffalo Bills and possibly behind the Miami Dolphins as well. The Aaron Rodgers experiment in New York will, will certainly be an interesting one, but it could definitely turn out just as bad, if not worse, than the Russell Wilson experiment in Denver. Now, moving on. Staying in the National Football League, but returning to my home city of Cincinnati, the Bengals had quite an unfortunate injury occur on Thursday in training camp this week. While rolling out to his right, Joe Burrow came up limp on his right calf and had to be carted off the field. Now, many people quickly reacted to this on social media, saying the Bengals season was over, the Bengals were doomed, and they, that they would have to rely on backup Trevor Simeon all year. Now, luckily, it appears that Burrow avoided hurting his Achilles and just has a right calf strain that will keep him out several weeks. Although this may cause the Bengals to have a slow start of the season, it is not the disastrous outcome that many people anticipated when they first saw the news. Now, the overreaction stemmed from multiple factors, one of them being that the cart came and brought him off the field. Now, normally in NFL games, when the cart has to come out, to retrieve an injured player, it means that the injury is extremely severe. However, in training camp, usually the place where they transport the injured players to may be further away than it is in an actual NFL game. So the cart does not necessarily determine the severity of the injury. So this can be seen in Burroughs case where for a calf strain, normally the cart is not necessary, but 
due to the extra protection that they want to give Burrow since it's training camp and the distance that they are away from the treatment facility. They use the cart no matter what. Now, Burrow's calf injury mirrors some of the off-season issues that he ha- he's had in previous seasons. For example, there, was no pre- there were no preseason games in his rookie 2020 season due to COVID-19. In his 2020, before his 2021 season, he was rehabbing from his torn ACL on his left knee. Before his 2022 season, he had appendicitis right before the start of training camp and had to miss the entire preseason as well. So this is not new for Joe Burrow. I expect him to start slow to the season, just like he did last year, but I also expect him to bounce back and have an MVP-level performance throughout the rest of the year. Additionally, Burrow's role as more of a pocket passer instead of a running quarterback will help him be even more effective, even if this calf is not 100% when Week 1 rolls around. If Burrow is not able to play in Week 1, then the Bengals will have to rely on, possibly have to rely on backup quarterback Trevor Simeon, who has played some games for the Denver Broncos in his career, but it's definitely not the level of quarterback play that Bengals fans have become used to the past couple years, and will not perform at the level that the Bengals need to be able to contend for the AFC North and to make the playoffs for a third straight year in a row. Now, as Burrow rehabs from this injury, another question surrounding him is his incoming upcoming contract extension that he's working out with the Bengals right now. Burrow's fellow uh, draft class quarterback, Justin Herbert, just signed a five-year, $262.5 million deal, deal with the Los Angeles Chargers. Now, for Burrow, this could mean that he will make even more than that and become the highest paid quarterback in the NFL within the next couple of weeks. However, there have been some talks that Burrow is willing to take a Tom Brady-esque pay cut in order for the Bengals to be able to keep some of their star receivers, including T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. Now, while I hope that that happens, Burrow definitely deserves uh, top quarterback money, and as a 25, 26-year-old, I'm sure that it is very tempting for him to sign that NFL-leading contract. And although Burrow taking a pay cut would be nice, he certainly deserves to be making more money than Chargers quarterback Justin Herbert. And although many fans think that Herbert has better natural abilities than Burrow, on my quarterback tier list, Burrow is certainly a tier above Justin Herbert. And that's a good transition for me to go into my quarterback tiers heading into the 2023 NFL season, because this is a pretty big topic, and the NFL quarterback's obviously a very important position, and... Uh, it's important to evaluate which teams have the best quarterbacks and uh, what quarterbacks are going to have more success going into the season and what quarterbacks are going to see a decline in success despite um, having good years in the past in 2021 and 2022. So for me, I have Patrick Mahomes uh, standing alone in Tier 1 right now. He obviously has those two Super Bowls. He's relatively young and he's performed well in playoff games. He's put up incredible stats. He's won Most Valuable Player Awards, so he's definitely standing alone in Tier 1. Now, in Tier 2, I have Joe Burrow standing by himself there in Tier 2, trying to catch up to Patrick Mahomes, but last year's loss in the AFC Championship game definitely solidified Mahomes above Burrow for now on those tiers, but Burrow's playoff success and statistical success definitely have him standing there alone on the second tier ahead of quarterbacks like Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, and Jalen Hurts, 
who I have as my tier three quarterbacks who have put up incredible statistical seasons. All of them had great statistical seasons last year, but have not seen the playoff success. Josh Allen, obviously, having some heartbreaking playoff losses, including the 2021 AFC divisional loss to the Kansas City Chiefs, otherwise known as the 13-second game, um, and his blowout home loss in 2022 to my Cincinnati Bengals. Justin Herbert played in his first playoff game last year in the AFC wildcard round and obviously blew that 27-0 lead in Jacksonville to Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars, so he has to be docked somewhat for that. And despite his incredible touchdown-interception ratio, he is a tier below Joe Burrow. Finally, rounding out that tier, Jalen Hurts obviously has incredible rushing ability, incredible passing ability, incredible athleticism, and he's a great leader. But he does have limited ceiling due to his um, lack of throwing ability compared to other top-tier quarterbacks. Additionally, the roster that the Eagles have surrounding him is pretty incredible with an incredible O-line, great wide receiver core, and a great running game. So Hertz may not be able to thrive as much in other offenses or even on his own team as he loses some of his, some of his players. Below that, in Tier 4, I have dual-threat QBs, Lamar Jackson, Trevor Lawrence. Both uh, similarly um, talented, just like the Tier 3 guys. However, not having as good statistical seasons recently or not having proved themselves as much as those Tier 3 guys. For example, Lamar Jackson, there's certainly injury questions about him. He has had injury issues the past two seasons, and that has certainly helped the Cincinnati Bengals run away with the division in those two seasons. Tyler Huntley has had to play a lot of snaps for the Baltimore Ravens due to Lamar Jackson's injury concerns and Lamar's inability to throw the ball in big moments um, also causes him to fall below some of these top quarterbacks. As for Trevor Lawrence, he certainly uh, had a great year last year after his disappointing 2021 season, which was more the fault of Urban Meyer than, than himself. Um, but last season was incredible. His playoff one was incredible. He made some great throws in the divisional round against the Chiefs. But that was one season, and his 2021 season was not good enough to... His 2021 rookie season was not as good enough uh, to kind of elevate him into that Tier 3 with people who had better rookie seasons, including Justin Herbert. So he stays at that Tier 4 for now, but Trevor Lawrence is a guy I certainly expect to move up uh, in the near future and contend for AFC championships with Joe Burrow, with Patrick Mahomes. Finally, in Tier 5, I have some of the league's top game manager type quarterbacks, including Kirk Cousins, who obviously puts up amazing numbers almost every year. However, he does not perform very well in primetime games. He does not perform very well in playoff games, so he's not able to be a top quarterback in the league. However, with weapons such as Justin Jefferson, um, TJ Hawkinson, and a solid offensive line, normally a, a pretty solid run game, Cousins is able to be one of the league's statistical leaders in passing yards and passing touchdowns year after year. So he, he's certainly a very talented game manager. He's just never never able to get his team over the top in clutch moments. Um, Jared Goff is also in this tier with Cousins. Uh, he moved up uh, last year 
with a great season, and I think he's poised to move up again this season with all the weapons that the Lions have. There's obviously a lot more hype around Detroit than there has been in previous years, and I think Goff's experience uh, in big games when he played with the Los Angeles Rams, along with his um, his natural talent, which he does have some, uh, will help him propel into higher tiers. But for now, I do have him as a borderline top 10 quarterback in the NFL. Finally, I think Daniel Jones certainly belongs in a tier with these two guys. Um, he definitely elevated himself with his performance last season, getting the New York Giants to the playoffs, winning a playoff game with over 300 passing yards and two passing touchdowns. Uh, he definitely had limited uh, talent with his wide receivers. He had certainly had a lot of help from Saquon Barkley. Uh, Brian Dable was a blessing in disguise for the New York Giants, but uh, Daniel Jones did a lot of that himself. He's a great dual threat quarterback. He makes good throws when he needs to. He can run the ball when he needs to. Um, he does have bad interceptions, just like a lot of quarterbacks do, but he does belong in this tier. He does belong in tier five of quarterbacks in the NFL um, because he is more explosive than quarterbacks such as uh, Dak Prescott and Tua Tagovailoa, and he certainly has more upside than those quarterbacks, um, so he, he does belong there. Speaking of uh, quarterbacks such as Dak Prescott and Tua Tagovailoa, they do fall below Daniel Jones in my tier list. Dak obviously had a nightmare season last year, missing four or five games and still leading the league in interceptions, um, losing in the playoffs to San Francisco again, and just overall getting a lot of criticism, making a lot of dumb decisions, and um, showing again that he cannot get it done in the playoffs. And to attack of Iloa, obviously, despite his great start to last season, there are the injury concerns. There are the arm strength concerns. They are both valid. And although Tua could break out again in this 2023 season with, with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, I expect the injury concerns to remain, and I expect the I expect the arm strength concerns to remain too. And that's why I think he's not quite a top 10 quarterback in this league. He's a great guy, and I hope that he's able to elevate himself to that next level, but I, I don't think it's going to happen this year. Now... Moving out of the NFL and into women's international soccer, uh, the U.S. women's national team is currently in the middle of their group play in the 2023 Women's World Cup. Uh, they had an early win against Vietnam and a draw against Netherlands, and they take on Portugal at 3 a.m. this upcoming Tuesday. And although this women's team certainly has a chance to three-peat to win another title like the previous two U.S. women's national teams, I do think there may be some trouble brewing for multiple reasons, some of them being positive and some being negative. For example, the rest of the world does seem to be catching up slightly in women's soccer. The Netherlands looked uh, pretty good in their draw with the U.S. Uh, certainly more countries are allocating more money and resources to help develop their women's soccer teams. Um, and the U.S. is definitely uh, not elevating the same way that the other countries in the world are elevating their level of play. The U.S. has been uh, the dominant women's soccer team in the world for a long time, but as we've seen in men's basketball throughout the past couple Olympics, um, it's clear that the rest of the world is kind of um, is shrinking the gap between uh, themselves and the U.S., and this could cause the U.S. to lose uh, their first World Cup since um, 2011, I believe. In addition to the improvement by the rest of the world, the U.S. team doesn't look 
quite as strong as they have in previous years. Um, this is partially because some of their players are getting older. They have uh, aging players such as uh, Alex Morgan, Lindsey Horan, Julie Ertz. Megan Rapino is not as much of a factor as she's been in previous World Cups due to her age. And certainly the team looks a little bit slower and a little bit less sharp than they did back in their 2019 World Cup run. Along with these older players, though, there are exciting new young players, including Trinity Rodman, Sophia Smith, definitely great goal scorers. I can create a lot of opportunities for the U.S. with their speed and their acceleration. However, it's certainly a big stage, and it's a lot to ask of these young 20, 21, 22-year-olds to carry the U.S. to World Cup victory. And in the first couple of games, their inability to finish has uh, seemed to be a concern for the U.S., and will definitely hurt them in, in future rounds when they play better competition, including France, Germany, and other teams. I do expect the U.S. to be able to beat Portugal on Tuesday and make it out of their group, but I definitely think that they have a, a great shot of being eliminated in the round of 16, the round of 8, by some stiff competition from the rest of the world. Finally, to wrap things up, I want to circle back to the Cincinnati Reds. Um and give some possible predictions for their upcoming series against the Chicago Cubs. So, first of all, I expect Joey Votto to have a big series. He hit a two-run home run today against the Dodgers, and despite his clear inability to hit low-breaking balls, he definitely still has that home run power, and I think he's hit well recently at Wrigley Field, and I think that this success will be able to continue throughout the four-game series this week. Remembering back to the Votto still bangs era of uh, that fun 2021 uh, summer. Votto had a lot of those home runs. He, that home run streak occurred a lot at uh, Wrigley Field. And I just think that um, he's going to be able to replicate that in this next series. Uh, in addition with this home run today, he had another ball hit high and deep to right center field that was actually going to be a home run. It was robbed by Dodgers center fielder Outman. Um, it was a great defensive play, but it definitely showed that Votto is seeing the ball well. He had, an, he had an additional double today, although it was against a position player. But look for Joey Votto to have kind of a resurgence again this week, uh, despite the slump that he had been going through uh, before today's ball game. Furthermore, I mentioned before about Ellie De La Cruz's great game today and how he's been able to kind of bounce back after the Reds gave him that crucial off day uh, last weekend. Um, and I believe that De La Cruz is going to be able to continue this success against the Cubs. I believe that this is going to be his first meeting against the Cubs, but I think that he's going to hit well in Wrigley. He's going to cause a lot of problems for the Cubs pitchers, catchers, infielders. I mean, he really causes problems for everyone. He's, he's just that electric, but I think he's going to be able to do a lot for the series and for the Reds, and I think he's going to help the Reds win three of four games. So that is my prediction. I think that the Reds are going to take three of the four in Wrigley, the Cubs have been surging. They won eight in a row before their loss today. But a lot of those wins were against the St. Louis Cardinals, who have, um, it's been delightful, but they have struggled mightily this year. So I'm not going to put too much stock into that Cubs success. Uh, so I do think the Reds are going to take three or four behind strong offensive performances from Joey Votto and from Ellie De La Cruz. With regards to the NL Central Division race, uh, it is going to be crucial for the Reds to take three of these four games and for the Reds to have success in early August um, due to the light schedule that the Brewers have. Um, although the Brewers have been 
about a 500 team, maybe even a little sub-500 when they're not playing the Reds, which makes absolutely no sense at all. Um, they do have a very, very light schedule, including series, uh, four series in a row against, I think it's the Nationals, the Pirates, the White Sox, and the Colorado Rockies, um, four bottom, three bottom feeders in the National League, and one bottom feeder in the AL Central. So I'd look for the Brewers to probably win essentially all those series behind their great starting pitching and great bullpen. And if the Reds are not able to keep up with them with wins in their upcoming series, I think the Brewers could pull away a little bit again in the National League Central. And although this wouldn't be the end of the world because the Reds have certainly shown the ability to go on huge win streaks and could definitely come back in the division, um, I think the Brewers' possession of the tiebreaker over the Reds, um, along with the fact that they've shown that they're a capable team, certainly not a juggernaut, but a very capable team, I think uh, it would be very, very, very nice for the Reds to be able to kind of hold the lead or uh, stay with the Brewers uh, in the NL Central as the Brewers play this pretty light schedule. And once Milwaukee's schedule picks up again, the Reds should be able to make their move and pull away as we get into late August and September. That is it for today's episode of the Title Town podcast. Um, obviously very Reds focused today, uh, but as the NFL season uh, continues to approach, there's going to be a lot more uh, drama and topics to discuss uh, around the National Football League. Um, we do have football this week. The Hall of Fame game is happening between the Browns and the New York Jets, although I do not believe that Aaron Rodgers is going to be playing in that game. As the NFL season gets closer and closer, though, that is going to give me some more opportunities to invite guests on the show, and we will have some more debate-style questions between me and the guests. We will both offer our um, opinions on the topics that are addressed. If you have any suggestions on what I should discuss in subsequent shows, feel free to DM me on Instagram at title.town.podcast. And if you like this episode, go drop a follow. Thanks for listening, and I will be back next week.